How many of you, as we start this new series, The Bible and National Defense, and we're going to be covering this all the way up to Memorial Day, but Mother's Day falls in between, so we'll take a break for moms and talk to you moms on Mother's Day, and we're going to have a photo booth, and we're going to do some fun things for Mother's Day, but how many, of, how many of you have heard this statement? Go ahead and put it on the screen. The statement is, I don't like organized religion. Anybody ever heard that? It's, that's kind of the excuse for some people. I don't like organized religion. In fact, I was <clears throat> on a Twitter feed back and forth with Tim Keller and this atheist, and uh, I think it was Friday or something, and this was one of the comments that somebody had made in the feed. I don't like organized religion. Well, pretty popular phrase. My question to that would be this. <clears throat> so you probably don't like organized sports, and you probably don't like organized music, and you probably don't like organized restaurants, right? We don't want anything to be organized. My sock drawer is living proof of that. Don't laugh at me because you know you've got a drawer at your house, right? <clears throat> I don't like organized religion. What, what they're really saying, because I've talked to people that make this comment. I say, so you don't like organized restaurants and you don't like organized conversations. You don't like organized communication. No, I guess what I really mean is I don't like people to organize things and try to exert power over other people. So you don't want an organized government. You don't want an organized military. You don't want organized science. You don't want organized communication. You just want to be able to use words randomly and have people figure it out. The logic doesn't flow. The logic doesn't make sense, right? The word organize literally means to have a coherent unity or function. The word organize means to have something that is coherent and functions, right? So to say that I don't like organized religion is to say I don't like organized beliefs. I don't like, I don't like organized car parts, just throw all the parts in the parking lot and then we'll just put them all together and see if we can drive the car. It doesn't make any sense. It has to be coherent, and it has to be functional, right? Organization is necessary for anything to exist. The cells in your body have to be organized for you to physically exist. Organization is necessary on every level. Even nature has to be organized to some level, right? In fact, I mentioned my sock drawer. It was very incoherent this morning, very incoherent, and something happened to my attitude and my emotions in that moment. Couldn't find my belt, couldn't find the right socks. Do you understand what happens when things aren't organized? But I don't like organized religion. I don't want people exerting power over other people. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. And certainly the Apostle Paul 
was very organized. The Apostle Paul even recognized the importance of things being organized. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, and this is going to be our main text for today. We'll, we'll bounce around a little bit, but then we'll, uh, we'll come back to it. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Now, let me pause right here for a minute. Keep in mind, Paul's writing this under the guise of the Roman Empire. And we all know how twisted the Greek and Roman empires were. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul immediately puts responsibility on the government. He says, the government has a responsibility. And we'll dive into this more next week, but the government has a responsibility to protect its people. But he says there in verse 1, if we can go back to verse 1, let everyone be subject. And I want to focus on this, these two words. Let everyone be subject. This is the Greek word, hupotasso. It's a compound Greek word. Hupo means to be under someone. To be under. So they would say that if, if you are an entry-level employee and you have a supervisor and a manager... You are hupo. You are under the supervisor, and the supervisor is hupo, under the manager. You are under authority. Now, it's two, it's a compound word, tasso, T-A-S-S-O, means an ordered arrangement. He says, let everyone be under the ordered arrangement of things. To be placed under an arranged... It, it's designed structure. Paul says to the, to the Christians in Rome who are being persecuted, who are being put in jail, who are being, will eventually be thrown to the lions, who will eventually be burned at the stake, be under the structure of your government. And he's even saying it to people who will be persecuted by their own government. What in the world? Paul, have you lost your mind? No, Paul hasn't lost his mind. He's writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to obey the laws of our land. There's a structure. There's a purpose. Notice what Paul did not say. He did not say that those people would not have evil intent. He did not say that those people would always have the best interest of the people in their mind. He didn't say that they would always be holy people and righteous people. He simply said, he simply said, there's an order and a structure to things, and as Christians, our job is to honor that to the best of our ability. 
to the best of our ability. That's our job. Let's take up taxes for a moment. Everybody happy about that tax season? April 15th was recently. I see some of you smiling. Maybe you got a return. Some of you are frowning. Maybe you owed. I don't know. Well, I shouldn't have to pay. The government is evil. The government is, I shouldn't have to pay my taxes. Wrong. Jesus paid taxes. Peter paid taxes. In fact, when Peter couldn't pay his taxes, in Luke chapter 19, you can write this down, read this later this week. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, is the story. Peter's behind on his taxes. And Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, well, don't worry about that. You're under a new kingdom and new rules. You don't worry about your taxes. Just go on. I got you covered. No. Jesus provided a fish with enough money in the fish's mouth that Peter would catch this fish, and Peter could use that money to get caught up on his taxes. Jesus provided finances for Peter to get caught up on his taxes to pay the Roman Empire. Right? Jesus paid the taxes. We are to obey the laws of the land. It doesn't mean that the laws won't be crooked. It doesn't mean that the laws may not be right or wrong or we may like them or not like them. Our job is to be subject to them. The issue arises when the government begins to go against or ask you to go against the Word of God. So if the government says, stop reading your Bible, stop meeting, stop being a Christian, don't do the things that Christians are supposed to do, when the government begins to do that, as Christians, we have the right to say no and do what God has asked us to do because one day we will answer to God. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. So I don't care if you're a U.S. citizen, a North Korea citizen, a Chinese citizen, or Canadian citizen, or you name the country, follow the law of the land until they begin to push back against your Christian beliefs. Now the question is, do we have precedence for this in Scripture? Because if we have precedence for this in Scripture, then we have a right to do it. If not, then we can't. But the good news is, is that we do. And rest assured, as Paul said in our, in our passage in Romans, that if we do follow our king, Jesus, if we follow him and his rules, and the government is trying to suppress that, and we'll see in a minute why that happens, but when the government begins to suppress your beliefs and the things that you believe in Christ, be prepared, they will bring their judgment. But it's not their judgment I'm afraid of. I'm much more afraid of the one, Paul says, who has the power to throw my soul into hell or into heaven. That's the one where my respect goes and I ultimately answer to. So where's the precedence for us to disobey our government? In Acts chapter 5, Peter is brought before the ruling parties. Peter is brought before the government. And here's what's happening. Christianity is spreading like wildfire. Spreading unstoppable. Well, one of the things that we don't consider that's completely kind of backwards from how we believe is that when Christianity really began to explode, 
it was considered atheistic. Because we didn't have a God you could see. The Jews had the Ark of the Covenant. The Romans had all their gods and their statues. The Greeks had their gods and their statues. Egypt had their gods and their drawings of their gods. I can see all of these gods. But you're talking about a God I can't see. It's atheistic. And so they were tortured. They were, they were tortured for that. They were beaten. And yet this atheistic religion is growing like wildfire. We have to stop it. And so Peter is one of the leaders. Capture him. Bring him in. And so they capture him. They bring him in. And they tell him, you may continue to do good. You may continue to feed the homeless. And you may continue to take care of the widow and the orphan. You may continue to care for your neighbor. But you may not talk about Jesus and the resurrection. Stop talking about the resurrection. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop sharing your faith and quit talking about Jesus. And we have the words of Peter in Acts chapter 5. This is his response to his government. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Our job is to obey God, not you. And so I will continue to take care of the widow, I will continue to take care of the orphan, I will continue to take care of my neighbor, and to love my spouse, and to take care of my kids. I will continue to love others, and I will do it in the name of Jesus, because I answer to God, not you. That's where our allegiance lies. And so when the government says, well, go ahead and do all that, but just don't talk about Jesus, it's not going to happen. Go ahead and throw me in jail. Go ahead and put put a bracelet around my ankle and throw me in my house. Because most of the New Testament, I don't know if you know this, but most of the New Testament was written while Paul was on house arrest. (laughs) He had guards stationed at his doors. They didn't have ankle bracelets where they could track him, but they had guards placed at his windows and his doors, and he couldn't leave his house. Or he was actually literally in a prison in a dungeon someplace. This is where most of the New Testament is written. Persecution for the For the Christian isn't anything new. As I was talking to Brent in my office this morning, we, the United States of America, just so happen for the last 200 years or so to have been spoiled. We've just been really spoiled in a country that is built on Christian principles and we've been allowed to flourish. This is new in 2,000 years of Christianity. This is a new new concept. Even... The church of England or the Roman Catholic Church persecuting Protestants. And when John Wycliffe said in, in, in the 1300s, he says, listen, the Bible needs to be in common English for the common person. Common language, I shouldn't say English. The common language so that common people can read it, interpret scripture for themselves. Right? This is, this is a new concept. You know, you know who penned for the people, by the people? John Wycliffe, 1374. And our fathers brought it into our, into our governing documents. They were quoting John Wycliffe, a government for the people and by the people, as John Wycliffe from 1374. Founding fathers knew exactly what they were doing. It was blatantly obvious. And so Christianity for the last 200 years has been allowed to flourish and to grow unlike any other time in human history. And it happens to be our country. And now we're caught at a crossroads because we've been pretty spoiled, and we've been given a voice in the government. And so it's, an, it's, it's just very rare in human history, right? So what, why would 
the government say, you can do all these good things, but just don't talk about Jesus, okay? Just, just keep that back. Don't, don't proselytize. They make it sound like it's evil, but people proselytize all the time. If you watch the news, they're proselytizing. In other words, they're pushing a belief system. Every time you go to school and sit in history class, economy, uh, economics, sociology, science, they're pushing a belief system. I don't care if it's a public school, Christian school, or home school. You're pushing a belief system. You're proselytizing kids. It's not a bad thing. Right? You guys are like, this is good stuff, right? Yes, okay. You proselytize, you proselytize at lunch when you talk about it. So you share your ideas and try to convince somebody that you're right. But why? Why would the government do that? Here's what we need to understand. Satan will use government to try to destroy what God has done. If you don't think this is a war, think again. Satan will use his influences to persuade governments. Here's what you have to understand as a Christian. This is, you, you can talk about Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. You can talk about ideas and proposals. You can talk about all of this stuff. You can look at the natural world and talk about the natural world all you want. But until you begin to realize that the spiritual world influences our physical world, you'll always be fighting that war. And you will never advance your cause until you get behind the scenes to see who's really running things and then look into the spiritual world to realize some of these things are being pushed from a spiritual perspective and it's demonic forces and Satan whispering into the ears of people, lying into their minds, and then they make it rules and laws. Laws are developed from a belief system. I don't want to put that person in office because they believe this. Well, you're going to put somebody else in office who believes this. All law is based on belief of some sort. And so here's what we have to understand. Angelic and satanic forces fight for control of nations. You find that in Daniel chapter 10, 12 through 13, Ephesians 6, 12. Those are just two references. But you can see clearly from the spiritual world that Satan and demonic forces fight, control, fight for control of nations. There is a spiritual warfare going on to control nations. This is why we have, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I give it to you. So that you may, in Ephesians chapter 6, right? So you can, you can bind the works of the enemy. Our job is not just to pray for our president and our vice president, whether we agree with them or not. Our job is to bind the works of the enemy over our country. Amen. That's part of our job. Not just pray that our president makes the right decision, but pray and stand against demonic forces that would whisper into their minds, why don't you pass this legislation? Why don't you do this? Our job is to stand against that from a spiritual perspective and to pray for godly wisdom for them. Psalm 33, verse 12, we're not going to read it, but it clearly says that if leaders of a nation stay before God, he will bless their nation. Psalm 33, 12, as long as the people of a nation keep their hearts and the leaders of that nation keep their hearts and their minds 
before God, he will bless their nation. It's not any mistake that we are the most blessed country in the history of humanity. It's not a coincidence. In fact, a history teacher who happens to be a good friend of the family, she pointed out one time, she said, if you look at every major world empire that came to power, Spanish Empire, French since since the death of Christ, since the death and resurrection of Christ, every empire that came to power, French, Spanish, British, the United States, every empire that became a world power, became the single world power, had a mass revival at the beginning of it, a mass spiritual awakening. Go out, just look look at the empires that rose to power after the resurrection of Christ. All of them started with a mass move of Christianity through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't deny it. History records it. It proves Psalm 33, 12 to be right. When our leaders stand before God, he blesses a nation. Let's go back to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. If you can go back there, there's another word that I want to point out that I want us to really pay particular attention to. It's this word established there towards the end. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This, notice what God establishes. Does he establish the person or does he establish the authority of the position? He establishes the authority. He doesn't establish the individual Individuals will come and go. The authority of the position. So whether it's your congressman or your president or the vice president or your governor or your mayor, the authority that they have, God condones. Now, who you put in that position of authority or who takes it by force, but the position God has established because God has established organization. Right? And so... That authority is there. The position is there. And the word established means to set in place. God set it in place. Now let me share with you a little bit of what this looks like. In my yard in the back, I have this shed. Now it's an older shed. And it was established at one point. We bought our house, so I didn't build this shed or I would have done it differently. The shed was placed on two-by-fours, and the two-by-fours were just put in the ground. It's not on blocks. It's not stabilized, but it was established on two-by-fours. Now, here's what's happening to my shed. Some of you can already kind of picture this. The shed is literally sinking into the ground. The walls are shifted. The doors are hitting the ground. I literally had to dig just since this spring, I literally had to dig out in front of my doors of the shed so I could get them open because it's sinking into the ground and it's starting to lean and it's starting to, the wood's rotting because the moisture's getting up into the wood and even though it's treated wood, it's rotting bad. I mean, you really could probably go up and just kick a door in, you know, like, like tough guy in a movie, kick the door in. It was established, but it's not serving its purpose anymore. So guess what's going to happen to the shed? Because it wasn't built right. It wasn't done well. Guess what 
What's going to happen? The owner of the property, me, is going to have to either prop it up and get blocks under it and get it so that it's right. Sounds like a lot of work. Or it's going to get demolished and replaced, right? That's what this word established means. It gets established. It's good. But at some point, it starts to sink, and you either have to demolish it and replace it, or you've got to prop it back up again. The same is true of nations. They get established, but they start sinking. They start getting so blessed that they focus on the blessing and ignore the blesser. And God either has to tear a nation down, and that's biblical. It's all throughout Scripture. God either tears a nation down and destroys it, or he props it back up again and replaces a few parts. Because it happens to nations over and over and over Job 12.23 says this, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and he disperses them. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's done it throughout human history. He establishes the authority, but the people, he establishes the position, but the people, in our case, in our country, the people decide who fills that authority. And if it begins to sink, he'll either destroy it. Why? Because he's got a plan and a purpose. I own that shed. God owns the planet. God owns humanity. He has a plan and a purpose for humanity. And when a nation isn't going to follow that plan and purpose, he will find another one that will. I got a shocker for you. The largest churches in the world do not exist in the United States. In Nigeria, just this month, in Nigeria, there was a in Nigeria, there's a church that was built to seat 100,000 people because that's what they run on a weekend. In fact, we hear of churches of like 40,000, 45,000 in our country. We're like, man, that church has got 45,000 people. On Easter, they swelled to 60,000. Gateway Church in Dallas, Pastor Rob Morris is one of them. And we're like, oh, man, that's such a great church. Good news for you. You've got a church of a million people in South Korea, in Seoul, South Korea, that's a million people, and they own city blocks. 40,000 people ain't many when you compare it to a million people in your church, or 100,000 people in your church, or more. In fact, people who study church movement and the movement of Christianity anticipate by 2050 there will be more missionaries flooding into the United States than there are going out. Africa and China will be, there will be more African Chinese Christians by 2050, if the trend continues, than there are in the United States, Canada, and Mexico combined. Tell me, how does that begin to change? What happens when the vast majority of Christians are no longer in the United States, but they're in China? What happens when the vast majority of Christians are African and not from the United States? I know a gentleman right now who's a missionary. I, I, two people. One is from Japan. He's a missionary to Vegas. Another person is from India, and he's a missionary to the uh, Paducah and Metropolis, Illinois area. And he's from India. By 2050, there will be more missionaries from outside the United States than from the United States going out. That's where we're headed. The barn is sinking. It's true. All data indicates this. All data seems to indicate this. Now, I don't want that 
I don't want you to be fearful of that. I don't want you to be, oh my gosh, I don't want you to wring your hands because I believe that God can still move and still do things if we will get before him and to pray and to begin to bind the enemy over our country. And we should be excited. We should be excited that places like Africa and China are swelling with Christianity. We should be ecstatic about that. We should be excited about that. There's a passage in Hosea, in Hosea's day, the nation of Israel had kind of moved away from God. The people in Israel had, they didn't even know the Bible. They didn't even know their Bible, okay? They didn't know the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't know about 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. They just were ignorant of God's word, of God's processes. They were ignorant of God and his desire to move things. They severely lacked knowledge of their God. And this is in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does this, does this, this verse, just hold up. Does verse 3 sound remotely familiar? God says, Israel, you have totally left me. There's no knowledge of me in your land. And so because of it, you're lying, you're cursing, you're murdering. There's bloodshed after bloodshed after bloodshed. Go to verse 4. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. He goes, you have no right to talk about your neighbor. You have no right to point an accusation at another country and say, "How look, look, look at them. Look how bad that country is. He goes, because you've walked away from me, all of this now is beginning to cave in and the barn is sinking. It's sinking. And so Hosea was tasked was spreading the word of God as much as possible. And here's what I would tell you. In a shed that's sinking, we are tasked with spreading the word of God. Our job is to spread the word of God and to spread the knowledge of God like Hosea's was. Right? A lack of knowing creates a country bound to be distant from God. And a country that is distant from God, as God said to Hosea, will be murder after murder after murder, bloodshed after bloodshed, lying, cursing, people breaking all kinds of bounds, things that you've never even heard of. They have successfully now cloned a chimp and a human together in an embryo stage and have grown it. There is no bounds anymore. We have a responsibility to tell as many people about Christ as possible. Now, here's what I can tell you about that embryo if they let it go full term. It will have no spirit and no soul because it's God who breathes. The Bible tells us it's God who breathes soul and spirit. It will have instinct, but it won't have spirit and soul. 
we have to get to teenagers. We have to get to children. You are 75% more likely to come to Christ before the age of 30, and it severely drops after that, almost down to 10% if you're 65 and over. 10% chance you'll come to Christ after the age of 65. you have a 75% chance if you reach them before the age of 30. We've got our work cut out. We've got to do this thing. And that lack of knowledge in Israel, John 8, you guys have heard this before, probably taken out of context, but John 8, 31 through 32, as we close this up, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. You see, we think just knowing the truth will set us free. It doesn't. It says you will know the truth. And the word know means to come into contact with, to have a relationship with, and to know from experience. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, when you know experientially, when you know Jesus and you know the truth, and experience Jesus and what he can do in your life and how he can change your family and change your world, then it begins to set you free. So why do we need to proclaim the truth? I hope it's obvious. Israel was about to be wiped away in Hosea's day because of their lack of knowledge and the lack of truth being proclaimed. Here's the thing, as I said earlier, when we look to the government to free us, when we put our trust in government or in a politician more than we place it in Jesus and God, we've got our eyes off of what's really moving and shaking nations. It's the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God that work together to move and shape nations and shape legislation. That's where your prayer belongs. That's where your trust and focus goes because there's an enemy that's fighting everything good that God wants to do through nations. I tell some of you right now, stop watching the news. Stop it. You create more worry, more fear, and more anxiety. Well, I got to know what's going on. This will tell you what's going to happen and what's going on right now and what happened in the past. This is it. This is it. This is your news. It's never been wrong. It's not ever going to be wrong. When we look to the government and not to God, we swerve off. We swerve off. Get rid of social media. Take a break. Man, what did we do for 6,000 years without social media? I don't know. Right? Less anxiety, less worry. Let me share with you a story. And then we're going to close. And so if the band wants to come on up or whoever else is coming up, I'll share this story. I, I was reminded yesterday of an incident that happened a few years ago. And I totally forgot about it. And so I want to share it with you. I was driving down the road one day, and 
One of my favorite birds, one of my favorite birds happens to be a red-winged blackbird. I just think they're so cool, right? Like you'd say, like, isn't it a bald eagle or a falcon? Or Yeah, I mean, those are cool. But one of my favorite local birds is the red-winged blackbird because it's just cool. I can't explain it. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm praying and looking around, and I look over in a tree, and I, this bird is like, situated funny on the branch. And in a very odd, and my wife is laughing right now because this is so odd for me, in a very odd, weird way, I, I felt sorry for the bird. And because when I looked at it, I thought someone had zip-tied it to a branch. And I'm looking at this bird, and I'm like, who took that red zip-tie and zip-tied this bird to that poor guy. And I'm driving, and I'm so engrossed in the bird, zip-tied to the branch. All I can picture is some mean little Huck Finn-type kid that zip-tied this bird. And my steering wheel starts to do this. And I'm completely off the road because I took my eyes off the road because I felt sorry for the red-winged blackbird that had been zip-tied to the tree branch. And those of you that know me, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. Lori's even laughed. She's like, you don't care about that stuff. <laughs> Here's what I want to tell you. Too many of us have been focused on the zip-tied red-winged blackbird, and we've allowed ourselves to be pulled off the road of what really matters. And I got news for you. About the time I realized my car was jerking and shaking and all over the place off the road, the bird flew away. And one day, the kingdoms of the earth and of God, or I'm sorry, the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdoms of man are going to fly away. But the road, the kingdom of God, the spirituality and the truth of Jesus will always be there. That's where we need to drive. Get our eyes off the red-winged blackbird because God will take care of that. He tells us how he's going to take care of it. This morning, I want to invite you, go ahead and stand up. And If you're here this morning, and Bonnie and Lori, would you come down here as a prayer team? And Can I get Amy and Terry to come down on this side as a prayer team? If you're, if you're here this morning, and maybe... Maybe your barn, maybe your shed is sinking because it was established, but you've allowed the media and whatever else to convolute your brain. And it's sinking. Come on up. We want to pray with you. If you're here this morning and maybe you've just always focused on the red-winged blackbird and you've never really put your life on the road with Jesus, I want to invite you to say, Jesus, I want to be on the road with you. I want, I want to put my life with you, not with that thing over there that's going to fly away one day. I want to invite you to come forward and we can pray with you to accept Christ, to believe in Jesus as your Savior, as your Messiah. Get your vehicle back on the road. Stop focusing on the zip-tied red-winged blackbird. It's really not tied down at all. Amen? Amen. Almighty fortress, you go before us, sing Nothing can stand against the power of our God. 
you shine, you shine in the shadows, you win every battle, nothing can stand against the power of our joy, an almighty fortress, you go before, he's our foundation, nothing can stand against the power of our God, you shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our Sing that again. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. Sing it out. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night, oh God. Battle belongs to you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys are going to have an amazing week. I need you six people to see me out there in the lobby. Be sure to sign up to help with Transformation uh, in the children's area. You guys are awesome. We love you. We'll see you next week. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God,